Hey, hey, welcome into the Utopia Football Podcast. It is the midweek mailbag edition of the program. We're in between weeks two and three. Just got done with a 16-9 loss to the Denver Broncos, did the Texans, and Sunday they traveled to Chicago to take on the Chicago Bears in a uh, clash of the quarterback Titans. I say that completely tongue-in-cheek right now, but we'll get into that. A lot of Davis Mills questions in the mailbag. Welcome in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of... Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610 in the mornings. And, of course, joined, as always, by my co-host on this podcast, the great Hall of Famer, John McClain, who is the senior Texans columnist for us at SportsRadio610.com and GalleriesSports.com as well. John, it's great to see you. How are you? I would imagine that uh, people are upset at the Texans because they knew they could have won that game. Not going to say should have won. They were 10-point underdogs. But once again, Sean, they put themselves in position early in the fourth quarter to win, and they did not. So I imagine people are very upset and kind of losing sight of where this team was projected to finish. And uh, I think some people have illusions of grandeur. I heard one person say, in the media, they need to beat for Chicago to have a chance at the division. Now, the division right now is awful. Yes. But I still don't see the Texans having a chance to win the division. I don't either, John. But, boy, this division, I mean, it's two games in, but this division is bad right now. I mean, it is. we knew that the, the linchpins in the division were going to be Indianapolis and Tennessee, who I think were already thought to be sort of a cut below the really good AFC teams. Um even though Tennessee was the one seed last year, I thought all along it was kind of a, to use a word you and I like to use, Fugazi one seed for Tennessee. But Tennessee losing to the Giants at home, and then, boy, they, I mean, Buffalo is going to make a lot of teams look bad, but they made Tennessee look like they made the Texans look last year up in up in Buffalo. And Indianapolis is not good right now. Like th- this, you know, unless unless the uh, one of these teams, two of them pull out of this tailspin here, early on this is looking like, it's vintage middle of the 2000 teens AFC South where Brock Osweiler at nine and seven was good enough to get it done in this division. One of the things that uh, needs to happen for the Texans, if they were to beat the bears and they could beat the bears Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe should beat the bears is that would set up a big first place showdown with the Jaguars. It would. Well, so Landry laid this out on in the loop today. It's, you're, I mean, you laugh, but that's it's potentially true. Um, if the Texans beat the Bears, which I think they – I'm predicting them to beat the Bears this weekend. I'm not. You're not? No. Okay. Well, did you watch Justin Fields on Sunday night, John? He's worse than Davis Mills right now. Well, it is the Texans, and I, they've blown the first two. I just – till they prove they can pull one out. I'm not picking them. I don't blame you. I don't. I mean, I'm, look, I'm not going to sit here and die on that hill, but I'm going to pick the Texans. Let's pretend for a second they win this game. They'd be one, one, and one. The other three teams in the division are all underdogs this weekend. The Jags go to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. They're a touchdown underdog. The Titans host the Raiders and are two and a half point underdogs at home. The Titans are home, under, home underdogs to the Raiders this weekend. 
which they should be. It's just crazy. If someone had said that to you back in the summertime, they would have thought you were probably, you know, that the Titans would at least be favored at home, maybe not favored by a lot. And then the Colts, <laughs> the Colts are hosting Kansas City, which I have zero faith in them hanging in with the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs are about a touchdown favorite in Indy. So if the Texans can can uh, pull off, it will be a small upset. They're two and a half point underdogs to the Bears. If they can pull off the small upset and beat the Bears. We might wake up on Monday morning with the Texans in first place at one, one, and one. And that would be the most AFC South thing ever. <laughs> and the, the Raiders are 0-2 and, and they're favored over the Titans. Mm-hmm. One of the problems in Tennessee, you fall behind, it takes Derrick Henry out of the game. He hadn't done squat in two games. Ryan Tannehill was pathetic. He looks like he picked up this season where he left off uh, last season when he wasn't very good and killed them in their playoff defeat. And the Colts, you know, losing the way the Colts did the Jaguars, I think that's seven consecutive losses in Jacksonville. And there's a lot of talk about Frank Wright and Chris Ballard's jobs being in jeopardy. The thing about that game is Matt Ryan did not look good, and they were able to get up and contain Jonathan Taylor, which makes the Texans tie even less impressive. Yeah. Seeing how bad the Colts are and how close they came to winning. And Matt Ryan, he didn't have Michael Pittman, but right now he doesn't look like the Matt Ryan from 2020 and back. He looks like the Matt Ryan of last season who was bad in his last year with the Falcons. Yeah, and he's at an age now where he just might be bad. I mean, he he might be bad at this point. All right, John, let's get into some mailbag questions from some folks. We got some new people sending some in. We got some loyal listeners that have been sending them in. So let's start it off here. Um Started off with, we, we don't get a lot of questions about, about this particular guy, so I'm going to start with this. This is from Derwin, loyal listener to Sports Radio 610 and the Utopia Football Podcast. Um, says, are we not talking about the Quesenberry brothers enough? What are you expecting long-term from Quesenberry at center this season? I think we, I guess we should point out, Paul Quesenberry is no longer on the Texans. He's the fullback, but Scott Quesenberry started this past Sunday at center. And I know I heard you on the radio, and I know that I, you know, you and I talking about it on the podcast earlier this week. Thought that Scott did really well. I guess the question about what are we expecting long term from Quesenberry at center requires an answer at some point on what's happening with Justin Britt, right? It's very strange. I thought Justin Britt would be considering retirement, and maybe he is because he played bad in the first game. He's had issues with his knee and his foot, and they kept him out of preseason to protect him, and then the you hope that it's not a problem with a family member. All I know is it's not a football injury keeping him out. Quisenberry started. I went back and watched the game last night twice, and I went over every play multiple times, and he played better than Brett. And he did a really good job in run blocking. Lovey Smith pointed that out on Monday. And, and he did well in pass protection, just like Kenyon Green. Those two guys are going to be starting for quite a, quite a while. If Justin Britt decided he wanted to keep playing, I'd keep Quisenberry in there as the starter. He's It's the 11th start. He's a five-year veteran, younger brother of David Quisenberry. And uh, he got to play with Davis Mills in the preseason, so that helped. You know, he was signed and elevated over Jimmy Morrissey, who played last year. 
Justin McCray could play center if he had to, but it's pretty obvious the coaches liked the job that Quisenberry did. So I expect him to stay in there as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I, I mean, playing better than Justin Britt's not a huge high bar to clear. Um, Justin Britt's not been, he's you know, frankly, he's not been good since he got here and he's been injury prone. Um, I hope whatever's going on with Justin Britt isn't something that's, you know, long-term or related to his family or whatever the case may be. But um, if, it's, if we're talking strictly football, Justin Brick can he he can take as much time off as he needs. I'm fine with Quesenberry in there as the starter. He did well on Sunday against the Broncos. Uh, all right, John, this is from Zeke in Waller. Nick Martin signed with the Titans this morning. I don't know if you saw that. Nick Martin signed with the Titans um, this morning. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. You guys are probably listening to it on Wednesday. That makes Zach Cunningham, Lonnie Johnson, Randy Bullock, Dylan Cole. Thank you, Zeke, for listing all these, by the way. Dylan Cole, Dontrell Hilliard, Ben Jones, Demarcus Walker, and A.J. Moore, who's on the IR, are all with the Tennessee Titans. That's nine Titans that now have recent Texans ties. What's up with Vrabel's fascination with Texans recyclables? Mike Vrabel loves him some Texans. And uh, it, it's amazing. Um, is Lonnie Johnson still there? Yes. He so had, had a false start last night, John, on a punt. <laughs> Dumped by the Texans, dumped by the Chiefs. I won't be surprised if he's soon dumped by the Titans. I don't understand it. The guy in there that's really helped them a lot, and and David Quisenberry was another one, and he started for him, is uh, Hilliard. Mm -hmm. You know, Hilliard helped them a lot last year, along with uh, Dante Foreman when they lost Derrick Henry. So uh, John Robinson is the general manager. He has no ties to the Texans. Vrabel does. But, and Vrabel's got some other coaches on his staff, like Tim Kelly, and uh, who were here. So those guys obviously like some Texans, and that's good for them. But boy, too many Texans going to spoil, too many Texans from the losing teams is going to spoil your party. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to get too worked up over Nick Martin getting signed to a team two weeks into the year. I mean, my guess is he's not going to start or play even a significant role. Ben Jones is on that team already. So they've got – they basically have every Texans start from at center from the year 2015 through 2020 on their team right now. And Ben Jones has been worth it. He's played really yeah. well when he signed as a free agent. Nick Martin, another wasted second-round pick. Ben Jones is – of the guys we just listed – yeah, you know, that's two things, John. Okay, Ben Jones, of the guys we just listed on the Titans, he's by far and away – I mean, like not even close, been the best Titan. He's been there the longest, too. Um, how about that, though? Nick Martin, second-round pick. Zach Cunningham, second-round pick. Lonnie Johnson, second-round pick. Tennessee is the home for wayward Texan former second-round picks. That's what it is. It shows you what a bad job the Texans did drafting those guys. Yeah, you got that right. All right, this is from Wale. Um, he says, my comment question is regarding Davis Mills' response. Okay, this is good. Where he said, John, you remember the quote he had this weekend? Quote solid. Not that one. Oh, oh. not that one. The other one where he said that in the quarterback room, they talk about how their job is to keep things close in the fourth quarter and then hopefully go win the game. Uh, Wale says, obviously, he hasn't proven through two games he's capable of clutching it up in the fourth. However, I wonder if this is the culture of the entire offense. I clearly remember when Kubiak used to say the same thing. Should we be worried that this is the mentality and culture of the offense? and possibly the entire team. Thanks for answering my question. I, I found that answer to be really disturbing. Just, John, when you think about quarterback rooms that you aspire, you aspire the Texans to be, and, you know, that you, if you're an NFL fan, you aspire your team to be. 
you know, I don't want my quarterback saying it's our job just to keep it close and then hopefully win it in the end. I want my quarterback to be somebody to say my job is to go score touchdowns. Every This just in, when you're up by two touchdowns, it's okay to go score another touchdown after that and not cough up a 17-point lead. What are your thoughts on that? We'll ask him on Wednesday to clarify. I was hope that he meant if the game's close in the fourth quarter, our job is to win the game yeah. because that made no sense. Nobody wants a game to be fourth quarter. No, that's not their mentality. It's not their culture at all. Right. Um, thanks for the, uh, the question, as always, Wally. Uh, Chester in Stafford says, I read a story on ESPN.com about Jalen Petrie living at home with his parents. Did you see that story, John? Did you hear about that? Jalen Petrie lives with his parents in Stafford. Yeah, I know where he lives. I know everything about him. No, I didn't see that story. Yeah, so um, it said, which made me think to ask the Utopians. I guess we're the Utopians, John. Um, did you live with your folks after college? If not, what was your first post-college place you lived, i.e. apartment or house? Did John, did you ever, after you got done at Baylor, did you ever go back home and live with your folks? No, and I didn't live with him while I no, I did live with him while I was a bailer. And I was working full time at the Waco Tribune Herald and I was saving money. And then I got an apartment my senior year. So uh, my first three no, that's not right. I lived with him two years of college, then I got an apartment. Okay. Okay. Did you live by yourself or did you have a roommate? No, I had a roommate. Okay. Did you guys have certain signals like a sock on the door and stuff like that? You know, uh, no, it was Tony Peterson who got me hired at the Tribune Herald and the Chronicle and put me on the Oilers. And all we did was study and work full time at the Tribune Herald. OK, I, I believe like 90 percent of that. I don't think you study. I'm guessing there's some things that went on in that apartment. It was the 70s, John, or the oh, 60s, boy. whatever. I wish there had been. But I was uh, I was at that point. I had a girlfriend who was uh, got married to my first wife. And so I didn't, you know, when you work at 60 hours a week and yeah. you get home at three in the morning that's tough. and you got to get up at seven 30, go to class, you're a zombie. Yep. And that's why I barely got through class, but I was lucky. I had a job, what everybody else wanted to do when they got out of college. So I remember when Tony who went on to be the editor of the Chronicle sports editor and managing editor got his degree in his bedroom. He put it on a bookshelf that, was makeshift bookshelf sat on the edge of his bed with his chin on his hands and stared at it. And I went in there and I said, what are you doing? He said, I can't believe what all I've gone through to get this piece of paper. <laughs> but it worked out because he became a big shot in journalism. And now he's head of communications at SMU. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So they, see, John, you're working 60 hours a week back then. And now you're working 60 hours a week again. So no, I'm life. working a lot less than that right now. I, I don't know, you. John. I think I feel like you're on the radio at least 35 hours a week. It's, it's, what, it, it's what it feels like. You, I, I, you can't go anywhere without hearing your voice. And I got the other shows, but I figured up the other day, all my time on the radio is less time than I spend with you doing these utopian <laughs> podcasts three times a week. I love doing this podcast with you, John, I just for too. the record. Thanks uh, to all the listeners as well. Absolutely. Spread the word, please. Yeah. We should, you know what, we should point that out. We should thank all the listeners. I should have done that off the top. I know I was going to do it before the end, but as long as you mentioned that, John, we finished in the top 10. Midway through September, we are trending in the top 10 among Odyssey NFL podcasts, and there's almost 40 of them. So that's pretty good, especially considering it's not like we're covering a team that's got, a, you know, that, that's one of the top teams in the league where everybody's rabid about the product on the field right now. You know, the ones leading the way right now are, I think the Eagles podcast is number one. There's a Raiders podcast that's up there. But uh, 
but our listeners have us up in that top 10 so far. So we're, well, we're doing if we good. want to do better, we need to start doing an Astros podcast every week. We will. We will. Shout out to the Astros for clinching the, uh, the AL West last night. Um, all right, let's keep it moving here with some questions on the mailbag. Matt Kopecki, uh, emails in by the way you can email hou mailbag at gmail.com i should have given that out off the top hou mailbag at gmail.com um davis mills isn't good enough assuming mills doesn't have a Giannis atenacumpo type of uh blow up is there anything mills could do between now and the next 15 games to show he can be a franchise qb it feels like he's too physically outmatched personally i believe the texans should have taken a first round qb last year if any of the prospects were good Forget about last year. It's in the rearview mirror. Um, just answering Matt's question about moving forward, John. Uh, it's a variation of something we've talked about all offseason. Like, what do you need to see out of Mills? But given that we now have a couple games worth of Mills with Pep as the OC and with this group of weapons and whatnot, what are what are our feelings now on Mills over the next 15 games? As of this, this is our version of the Mills replaceo meter almost right now. Matt, what were you saying at the end of last year when he finished really well and was clearly the best rookie quarterback in the NFL over the last five weeks? You know, nobody said he was a franchise. No, Nobody said he deserved anything more than another season to start. He's had one bad game. Everybody's ready to abandon him. What if they win the Super Bowl? Then what are you going to think? And, of course, that's not going to happen. What does he have to show that he can be a franchise quarterback? He's got to be a hell of a lot better than he has been so far. He was terrible Sunday, third lowest rating of his career, the worst since they lost 31 to three to Indy last year on October 17th. He was off target 50% of his passes. That's terrible. That's not been an issue with him. Last year, he was the highest rated quarterback in the NFL in the red zone. This year, he's been in the red zone twice in two games and they've scored once. So they got a lot of things wrong with their offense. He's not playing as well. Everybody wants to blame him. Does Pep Hamilton figure into it at all as the new play caller? I don't know at this point, but I'm not going to make any rush to judgments after one bad game. Okay, well, let's yeah, let's talk about it because that was my next question. James Campos emailed in a question, John, and uh, said, thanks, guys. Big fan of listening to you guys on 610, home of the Houston Texans. He says, insert Mark Vandermeer rock and roll right here. Rock and roll. Um, he brings up Pep Hamilton and he says that, um, with Mills struggling the way he has is Pep, Pep is kind of making chicken salad out of, you know, what, um, how much of this do we think is the play calling? I, I know it's, it's a little too early to completely assign blame and blame is something that's probably spread around amongst multiple people, the line Davis himself, Pep, what have you thought of the play calling so far this year? One thing I noticed from watching everything in slow motion last night was receivers are covered and he's overthrowing them. He's underthrowing them. He's throwing too wide. You don't see separation. And um, Nico Collins had four catches. He had, he had two the first game for 26 yards. He looked better in this one. You know, he's off target. And one of the reasons he's off target is they're covered. So he's trying to make, put it into a small window and he's not hitting that window. It would help if he had receivers get open. And like Brandon Cooks, he should have caught that touchdown pass. They had a chance to score earlier. Laramie Tunsil has a penalty that takes them out of, of, of scoring range. But I think Mills has not been very good. And Hamilton has to absorb some of the blame because last year's quarterback coach, he got a lot of praise when Mills played well against the Patriots, the Titans, 
when he was two and two down the stretch, looked great against the Chargers. Everybody was praising, heaping praise on both of them. But, you know, that's last year. Both of them have to do better. You know, they don't have a tight end. It's weird. Brevin Jordan, two catches for three yards. O.J. Howard, one. Farrell Brown had one good one for a first down. I'd like to see him get the ball to him more because he can break some tackles and he's a big target. But when they didn't have John Maggi the third, and it's, it's pretty obvious to me next year, if they get a chance, they don't have to give all their picks to get a quarterback. They need a game breaker and receiver to go with who they have. That's, you know, it's funny, John, the game breaker receiver thing is what I've been thinking about as you've been talking. And, and I, I wonder if that kind of sets up what the goal should be for Davis Mills, because if you think about, think about the teams that made deals for receivers the last couple of years, um, you know, uh, just in, within the past off season, you know, Miami wanting to find out what they had in Tua, they make a big trade for Tyreek Hill. Uh, last night, Jalen Hurts, you know, he's in his third year. They made a big trade for A.J. Brown, you know, got him a weapon. And those are both working out pretty well right now. Um, you know, even a couple of years ago, Josh Allen with them going and getting Stefan Diggs, Kyler Murray with the Cardinals going and getting DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe the goal with Mills and, and keep in mind, the Texans are going to have two first round picks. And there's going to be weapons in the draft or there may, who knows, maybe there's a weapon available. You trade a first round pick for maybe Nick feels like they've built up enough of the roster where they can make a trade. Maybe the goal for Davis is just to get to a point where the Texans feel like, okay, especially given what you just said, they, he, you're right. His receivers are not getting open either. I mean, it's, there's a lot of problems on this offense. Maybe it's just Davis getting to a point where, Nick feels like, okay, I'm going to use some of the assets we have to go put weapons around him and really see what we have as opposed to finding the thing that's going to replace Davis Mills. Right now, two games in, he has replaced Davis Mills, right? Like two games Absolutely. in. But, yeah. but if he gets to where he was, let's pretend he's what he was the last five games of last year, the rest of this year. To me, that's a stage that you look at and you go, okay, well, I mean, he did this and he's doing it with Brandon cooks and a bunch of schmoes at wide receiver and no tight ends. He's got Damian Pierce. So he's got a better running back, but the line's not great. So maybe that's the goal for Davis mills is get to a point where Nick thinks like, okay, now I got to do something to really see what we've got in this kit. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, keep it moving here. Um, one more on mills. This is from Joseph. Um, this will require going back into our memory banks here. He he's got a pretty long, dissertation on this. I'm just going to kind of flesh out the question here. And just the question is, how do you feel about Mills two games into his season with the keys to the team versus Brock Osweiler two games into his season with the keys to the team? Remember Brock started out two and zero his first season here. Brock, Brock played and played in playoffs for Denver. So that's a terrible comparison. Mills is a draft choice, third round pick with 11 starts in college when he was forced into the lineup Last year, he had the greatest game a rookie quarterback had ever had against Bill Belichick. They went to the playoffs. Texans lost that game by three. Had a great game by the against the Chargers, basically kept them out of the playoffs. Had a great game at the end against the Titans, almost kept them from home field advantage, a three-point loss. So he has flashed that he can do it. The key is he's not doing it now, and that's all that matters. And there's a lot of things that have to be right, but he's got basically the same teammates. He's got the same tight ends, except for O.J. Howard. He's got his top two wide receivers. He has three new starters in the offensive line in Green, uh, Quisenberry, 
and AJ can, whose best job Sunday was falling on fumbles. So he's, and he's got a new running back. So this, if they don't do it in this game, if he looks bad in this game, you know, they're not going to put Jeff Driscoll in, of course, and he's the backup mills. It's mills or bust. And this is a game that is so important for him. And he's been able last year to bounce back when he had poor performances, but there's no comparison to, to me between him and Brock Osweiler. Totally different situations. Plus, the players like and respect Mills, and they did not with the Brockster. Okay, yeah, that, I mean that's that's something right there for sure. Um, John, what did you? What were your report card grades for Davis Mills the first two games of the year? Sunday, I gave him an F. I can't remember what I gave him on the first game. Might have been like a C plus or okay. B minus because they did a 20-point lead and he threw two touchdowns, no interceptions. I think it was a B minus. Yeah, I was going to that that was going to be we Seth and I kind of fleshed that out on our show this week like what level or might have been on the post game show with Clint where we said okay, what level of play would you have needed from the quarterback position? You know, random quarterback X, what level of play would you have needed from that person in order to for the Texans to have won those two games this year? And I said I, I probably a B minus. You know, considering how how many mistakes the the opposing teams made, the Colts and the Broncos probably a a, a B a, like a B minus like a B minus game wins that Denver game, right? Well, let's go back to India. It wasn't his fault when he got a blindside sack that Tunsil didn't pick up that set up a twenty yard touchdown drive, and it wasn't his fault that Cooks dropped that pass or that Tunsil got that penalty, which could have given them another field goal. You know, Kaimi Fairbairn's off to a tremendous start. And it looks like his leg may fall off. Remember a few years ago, he led the NFL in scoring. And last year, he didn't get enough opportunities. And they don't want him to get a lot of opportunities. But Mills wouldn't have had to do much more. B, I would think in that game against Denver, I gave him an F. If he'd have been a C, yeah. they could have won that game. I gave him a B minus in the other one. Could have given him a B if Tunsil had picked up that block. You know, maybe they would have blown it anyway. But they've been awful in the fourth quarter. Quarter. They're just getting killed in the fourth quarter, and I don't know if it's the players, the coaching, or what. Yeah, I, that's what I wonder. Like John, I, you know, you think of these two games. Obviously, there's 15 games still left to play. Like I, I love to play this game in my head. Like, okay, X, Y, Z quarterback. Which quarterbacks that might have been available? I know the Texans weren't going to make deals for any of these guys because Mills was their guy. But like, okay, would Baker Mayfield have won both of those games for the Texans? I'm like, yeah, I think Baker Mayfield probably would have won both of those games for the. He definitely would have won the Denver game. For he the couldn't Texans. beat Cleveland. Win the Cleveland game this year when he had a chance. Yeah. No, I. Now, yeah. Yeah. I don't think Baker Mayfield could have stepped in and won him because he's not very good. Yeah. People say Jimmy G. All of a sudden, everybody loves Jimmy Garoppolo. That was my next I one. Would, I, I would say Garoppolo could have won him. Yeah, uh, because although if he's blindsided on the sack, he's going to fumble too. So, yeah. but I would say Garoppolo definitely, but Mayfield's just not anywhere w- what he was two years ago. Yeah, would Case Keenum have won both of those games, John? That's the question that Houstonians want to know. The caser, would he have won both of those games? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's keep it moving. Um, we got uh, we'll do we'll do uh, one more here from Chris in Atlanta. Um, he says, okay, one more. I said no more quarterback ones. John, you're going to like this one. Do you think the Texans would have a different record if Kyle Allen was the starter for the team this year? I do. I really do. I think they'd be 0-2. <laughs> okay. And, the, and you're going to like this one. This is a follow-up from Chris. Do you think Casario is purposely keeping Allen inactive early so there isn't an option to put him in and create a QB controversy? 
Is he trying to keep the wolves at bay? Uh, I love that. Chris is great. Chris is a loyal 610 listener and a loyal listener to this podcast. And I love conspiracy theories. I know, John, you're going to put zero validity in that conspiracy theory, as you probably should, but it is fun to think about. <laughs> Less than zero. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. Um, Let's do one more. Okay, we'll do one. We, we will do um, one more. I'm going to do a more like a general one here, John. This is from Linda in Upper Kirby. So this is a, a little female representation. Um, we all know you loved covering guys. This is for you, John, covering guys like J.J. Watt and Andre Johnson, who have been some of the favorite lesser known Texans that you've covered in your time covering the team. Andy Kalou, who was on the team when I started covering them in 2005, I did not cover them the first three years. I was covering the NFL, going anywhere I wanted to go, writing as much as I wanted, spending as much as I wanted. I had the greatest job ever for eight years. So I walked in the locker room. I went up to Indy, and we hit it off immediately. Another one, Eric Winston. I thought Eric Winston was tremendous. One one that, that no, I don't think anybody else would say, and that was Joel Dreesen, a tight end. He went to Denver. He was in the, on the radio in Denver, and one of my all-time favorites. And I'm the only person that would say this because I haven't had an opportunity to say in my 48th year of covering the NFL in this business that I covered somebody who was absolutely the greatest in NFL at his position. So it's been an honor getting to know John Weeks. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. John's that goes- a funny, John is a funny guy. He is. Being, besides being the best snapper in history, second, uh, John is a really funny guy with a great sense of humor, and I love talking to him. And one of my all-time favorites is not a lesser known. I've never known anybody more professional than Jonathan Joseph. Mm-hmm. His locker was always right when the media comes in. You want your locker to be on the far end. You don't want to come in where the media is just standing around looking for players right by you. And Jay Joe never turned us down. He would chat. You know, he don't act like we were the gum on the bottom of his shoe. Yeah, he just couldn't have been better. I'd love to see the Texans get Jonathan Joseph in their organization. Yeah, I would too. I agree with you on all those. I'll throw David Anderson in there as one too. David Another was, great guy. Yeah. Funny SOB. Yep. David was great too. He he was he was great. A lot of those guys, John, that Kubiak era team, when the two when they won those first two divisions, that was a really, really fun nucleus of guys that, that were, you know, who had experienced some hardships in 08 and 09 and in 2010, for sure. It was fun seeing them win um, eventually. Whatever happened to ND Kalu? You know what? His son is going to, his son is high school here. Yeah. He's committed to Baylor. He didn't go to Rice. Gosh, last time I checked with Indy, he yeah. was watching his son play. And he's, yeah. he, oh, I know what Indy yeah. Kalu does. What? He's a, he has a company that does commercial real oh, estate. Oh, that's right. He's well. in commercial yeah. real estate. Yeah. Yeah. He told me a story when he played for the Eagles one time. Uh, uh, gosh, Troy Vincent was a safety. And Vincent went up to him one day and said, What are you doing on Tuesdays? That's a player's day off. He said, I don't have anything to do. He's a rookie. He said, well, I'm going to come by and pick you up and uh, be ready to go and look nice. So he took Andy, who he obviously saw things in, around to Sean. Uh, Troy Vincent had had several businesses going mm-hmm. on when he was a player. 
And he told Indy, he said, you know, you came from Rice. You know, you need to think about your career now when you get out of football. And Indy established a commercial real estate firm that he's done since, and he's done really, really well in it. And I'm good. I'm happy for Indy that the Owls are winning. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy his son is going to Baylor. Sickum. Yeah, Sickum for sure. I, I always thought ND would have been good on the radio, but I don't know. I, I, well, you know, he was at 610 and he was really good. Yeah. He just managed, I, I guess. don't know what happened to him. Yeah. yeah I don't either. I guess I enjoyed, all real estate. Yeah, I enjoyed listening to him. But yeah, good luck with the real estate business, though. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So there we go. That is our uh, that's that's our mailbag. Yeah, John, I like those. I, I like the questions about the current text and stuff, but you've got such a broad perspective on things. I like and I think I think the listeners like to the the uh, you know, a little of the retro stuff and just your your take on some of the personalities you've had a chance to cover. So I wanted to mix that one. And thanks for the question, Linda. We appreciate it. Um, that's it. So we that's another mailbag in the books. Uh, we will next convene uh, tomorrow. And we will get you ready for Chicago and Houston, the Texans and the Bears in Chicago Sunday. We're back to a noon kickoff on Sunday in a game where the Bears are favored by about a field goal. So, John, you and I will lay out the pregame six-pack for that, and we'll take a look at some of the games going on in week three. The season is uh, picking up some steam. Week two was awesome. It's going to be a lot to live up to, um, but it'll be uh, – well, it wasn't, it wasn't awesome for the Texans, but it was a pretty cool weekend around the league for sure. Um, so we'll preview all of it in our next edition of the Utopia Football Podcast. Figgy Fig, great job editing and getting this thing out there to all the listeners. We appreciate you. John, always enjoy it. Congratulations to Notre Dame and those fighting Baylor Bears for winning. Yes, it was nice to get back on a winning track for sure. We appreciate all of you for listening. Hopefully you are winning at life today. You are if you're listening to this podcast. That's what I'll say. We appreciate you downloading, subscribing, sharing it, telling a friend. You tell a friend, they tell a friend. That's how this thing grows. Give it a five-star review wherever you go. It's the Utopia Football Podcast. We're done. We'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Take it easy.